Welcome to the Parent Matters Podcast, where we help you navigate the ever-changing landscape of parenting and equip you with tools to confidently parent your children. I'm Susan Stutzman, and today we're going to talk about when to consider seeking services for your child from a psychiatrist. And to help me do that today is Dr. Elizabeth Bernardino, child and adolescent psychiatrist in Burr Ridge, Illinois. Thank you for joining me, Elizabeth. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Susan. I really appreciate you thinking about me and asking me to be part of your Parent Matters podcast. It's really a privilege. Thank you. Well, thank you. So I, you know, I'm so glad that you're joining me because I think this is a really important topic for parents to um, begin to think about, especially in our day and age where um, children suffer from um, issues that sometimes um, have been in the past um, not as um, talked about or as um, public. And so as parents are navigating mental health issues, I think that it's important to um, think about um, different ways that they can support their child. And one of those is through seeking services from a psychiatrist. And um, I am really excited to have you here. But I, before we begin, I, what I want to um, say is that the study and treatment of emotional um, disturbances and mental illness and abnormal behavior with um, through the lens of medical medicine and a medical doctor is really um, the specialty of a psychiatrist. Is that true? It's very true. Mm -hmm. And so different than a counselor like myself um, or a psychotherapist, um, it's we're you're treating um, by listening and utilizing medicine where my treatment is listening and utilizing skill building. That That is right. Mm -hmm. um, but most important for us in the field is diagnostics. Okay. You know, diagnostic yeah. is, is very important because that would drive the treatment. It does not have to be medicine all the time. Mm. Um, some of the patients that we see would could benefit from counseling period. Mm -hmm. But it is important to have a good formulation, a good idea yeah. of what is being presented, why. Um, so it is important to look at the biological, psychological, social background for any of the patients that we see, and such understanding would drive the treatment. Yeah. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Dr. Bernardino, your practice is that you are very careful to spend a lot of time with the patient um, and in the initial interview to seek to understand what is going on with their biology, with psychological, with any type of environmental issue so that you are um, uncovering what might be adding to the reason that they're presenting, the, the problem that's bringing them into your office. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your journey and how you got to... Um, where you are today, what drew, drove you into the field of psychiatry, and especially for children? 
Well, I have been in practice for over 30 years. And um, I remember even as a second year medical student that I this is the field that I wanted to go into. So after four years of medical school, I decided to go into the training for general psychiatry. And that's mm-hmm. four years. I was in private practice for two years. And I realized that if I could intervene earlier on mm-hmm. among children and adolescents, perhaps that the challenges that an adult face could be minimized. Mm. And so I went back to do two more years of child um, and uh, psychiatry, child and adolescent uh, fellowship. That's what they call fellowship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm glad I did. So even up to now, um, I still work with adults, including geriatrics, you know, 65 mm-hmm. and over, but mainly um, with children and adolescents from age 5 to 18. Mm. That's uh, been the focus of my practice um, in the past, uh, in about 30 years or so. Wow, yeah. yeah, that's a lot of experience. And I, you know, I don't know if this is uh, the same across uh, our different practices, but I know that if you can understand working, the workings of a child and being able to treat a child, um, you can pretty much treat a a large swath of the population because oftentimes, like what you were mentioning, if you can, if you're an adult, you might be dealing with something that started in your childhood. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious if you find that um, because you said you still, you can treat adults and geriatrics, but that your primary focus is, um, you know, children and adolescents, that you can, you can see anybody because a lot of mental issues that are in childhood are very complex. And they kind of like, if you can see, if you see a child, you can see anybody. Well, it's actually, uh, Susan, the training that we had for four years, the Mm -hmm. first four years, uh, was focused on teenagers and adults. Okay. So that was what we were trained during the first four years. And then uh, the two years was really more sub-special, sub-specializing with children and adolescents. Um, I, I think that we, uh, my practice, I would speak for myself that my patients are mostly children and adolescents, and in a way it's by default, really, mm. because not a lot of psychiatrists want to deal with this population, yeah. and frankly, they shouldn't, because you really need to have that basic knowledge, but at the same time, experience in terms of developmental stages yes. in um, with children and adolescents. Also, you're looking at uh, different systems. You know, mm-hmm. when you're working with mm-hmm. children and adolescents, you have the child, of course, mm-hmm. the parents, sometimes the grandparents are yeah. involved, and sometimes school and the court. So there are so many other systems that you have to really try to weave in. And that by itself would take um, time and uh, patience and um, broad understanding 
of what we're dealing with, what we're treating. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit more complicated in that way. I mean, yeah. You know, no, but, and I yeah. didn't mean to overgeneralize yeah. No, it. Yeah. But there is a sense of, right, the developmental stages and understanding. And like you said, not everyone is niched down or able to work with children um, where if you go for counseling, typically you go for general counseling at, you know, as as the tr- as a track, that's a very common track, and then you specialize after you do generalized. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. So, so it's been a um, very fulfilling journey for me, and I still am excited. Um, waking up in the morning and looking forward to the day, it's just uh, a, a really beautiful, well, I would say beautiful field, but it's a very... You have to be dedicated. You have to really like what you're doing. and uh, But it is fulfilling and rewarding at the yes. end. Uh, isn't that true? It's, it's so rewarding to be able to see people um, change uh, and to be able to um, find health and hope. And what a, what a wonderful gift. Well, but don't get me wrong, not (laughs) everyone is a success because there are some of the patients uh, that we'll deal with that, um, you know, at the end of the day, they continue to to suffer. But um, I think for the most part, it's such, uh, for me, it's it's such a very... um, interesting and and rewarding field and I am so happy that I'm doing what I'm doing. Well I'm so Mm -hmm. glad. So okay let's talk a little bit about um, this topic of when to consider seeking services for your child. So first thing can you um, distill down kind of like the field of psychiatry and child psychiatry specifically. You said that finding a child psychiatrist is really imperative if you're looking for services for a child because they understand developmentally um, differences versus just an adult psychiatrist or a generalist. And then um, as you're talking about that, can you also share about when a parent should consider seeking services from a child psychiatrist versus a child pediatrician? Well, you know, pediatrics and child psychiatry, we interface. In fact, um, they are major referrals for us. Now, what what's the commonality between pediat- uh, pediatrics, the field of pediatrics and child psychiatry would be the age group that we treat with, you know, infancy mm. until age 18. Although for some practices, sometimes they go up to, t- to 21. Mm-hmm. So with um, pediatricians, they deal with um, well baby and sick babies, but they work, they also work with uh, problems with behavior and mood and uh, development, but they also deal with other conditions mm-hmm. like headaches or stomach upset, and um, so they, they they cover a lot of physical illnesses, but including um, well babies. They do vaccinations, they educate parents, and whereas with the field of psychiatry, we're more focused on 
areas of um, emotion, um, mood, behavior, delays in development. Uh, we deal mostly with, uh, well, should I say more complicated cases mm. of um, even attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, um, depression, anxiety, autistic spectrum disorder, post-traumatic mm -hmm. stress disorder. Um, a lot of those areas, um, our colleagues uh, choose to refer to us because they, well, in addition to some of those areas, they also deal with a lot of other uh, um, illnesses in their practice. Mm -hmm. So whereas the population is the same, mm -hmm. We're dealing mostly with um, behavior, you know, uh, challenges and problems in mood, uh, behavior, um, development. As I said, yeah. The so then, so then, if a parent is concerned about, let's just uh, make up a, a scenario: uh, their five-year-old mm -hmm. who seems to be um, suffering from uh, more. Um, anxious behavior, is really having a hard time um, develop with their in developmental, emotional age, um, would they seek their pediatrician first and then get a referral to you? Or can parents who know their kid is dealing with anxiety or um, are curious, can they just give you a call or a child psychiatrist a call? Well, you know, unfortunately, there is still some stigma as mm -hmm. far as seeing a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. whether adult or general psychiatrist. And so most of the time, uh, parents would probably go to their pediatricians first okay. to get some consults and advice as to what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Or they would seek out a therapist like mm -hmm. you because um, they, that, that's probably more, more comfortable for them. Mm -hmm. And that is okay. You know, that is, you know, nothing wrong with that. But uh, at times, we see some of these children and adolescents that have been going through those challenges, those difficulties mm -hmm. for years before they mm -hmm. come to us. Mm -hmm. But... You have to go with what you know what the parents are comfortable doing, and um, a lot of our colleagues, uh, pediatricians and um, therapists, know when to refer. And um, as much as I think, sometimes it really would have been. Um, in the child's best interest to have been evaluated right away by specialists, sometimes that's hard to come by. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. and so um, it depends on how maladaptive, um, how dysfunctional, um, how symptomatic the child is. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, mild, moderate, severe, if the symptoms are so problematic that, for example, the child is unable to engage at all uh, with the siblings, with the family in school, then um, 
as much as we would like to do an assessment right there and then, most of the time we don't. They mm. usually seek out um, other uh, specialists, and uh, most of the time they get the care. But you know, it depends on on what they have. That sometimes they get better for like few months, and then the symptoms uh, resurface. Mm. Uh, with more issues or more difficulties. So um, it, it really, um, it, we, we work a lot with all these different, um, with, with various specialties. But um, as much as uh, we wanted to be able to get the assessment then, usually uh, parents are not comfortable and they wait and seek out um, other uh, specialists and or special you know other people um, and and so you know I know that as a parent myself like it can it can feel like there's a stigma right if you if you're like oh my child's struggling and there's something that I don't know what's going on. Um, and I struggle with anxiety and, you know, maybe I should see a psychiatrist, but what is, what is it going to be like? So I know you mentioned earlier, um, that you don't always medicate. So what is, what, you know, tell me a little bit about what psychiatry is so kind of like uncover the the misinformation <laughs> yeah that, they think psychiatry means yes, medication right because no. parents often are if i say hey you know it would be helpful to maybe seek out a psychiatric um assessment they're like i don't want to medicate my child i don't want to medicate my child and one thing that i really appreciate about um you is that uh there have been um, numerous times when we've interfaced and there's a, you know, a recommendation for something like, um, can, oh, you know, increased omega-3s and vitamin D and, and these types of things. But help us understand as parents what, what you actually do in an assessment. I know we didn't plan on talking about this, but, but mm -hmm. I think that it might be really helpful for people to understand um, really, like, it's just, it's like going to the doctor, or is it? Is it like going to the doctor where you don't always get medicine, you don't always get an antibiotic, you don't always get a pill? Well, our assessment, Susan, is anywhere between 90 to 120 minutes. So that's an hour and a half to two hours of assessment. Mm -hmm. And what we cover during the assessment would not just, will not be only on the symptoms that present um, to us. We need to know, so we go over family history, we go over medical history, um, educational history, developmental history is so important. Mm -hmm. How, you know, what was your pregnancy like? Mm -hmm. uh, what what were, were there issues there? Were there um, challenges during um um, the first year of your life, you know, mm -hmm. how was speech? How was, so there's so much that, that uh, go into the assessment. And in addition to evaluating the severity of the symptoms, how are these symptoms affecting the child's day-to-day -day functioning? Yeah. How is it affecting the relationship between this child and the family? How mm -hmm. is the child, so of course, depending on the, on the age, and 
some of the so I was talking about diagnostics, which is really really important uh, for us, uh, because how can you have a con- an, an intelligent, comprehensive knowledge of the child if you're spending 10, 15 minutes, even an hour? I mean, there's so much that goes into mm. it, and. At the end of the evaluation, it does not necessarily spell out medication. Most often, I would look at referring the child for some form of counseling, Mm. whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or um, some form of psychodynamic therapy um, or coaching the parents in terms of how they you know how they how they choose to uh, quote unquote battle. You know mm-hmm. how what to how to prioritize what they're dealing with. So it's not just really treating the child. Mm-hmm. It's also working with the family and most and us often working with the school and yeah. other systems involved in the child's life at the time yeah, because if it's affecting their day-to-day and the relationships that they have and their ability to continue to develop in a healthy way obviously your you know what you're recommending um can span a huge spectrum correct correct yeah. correct yeah and sometimes it's really the child is presented as a problem but you know i i, I am never um a parent basher, you know, I believe that parents ha- have great intentions and want mm-hmm. their child to succeed and do yeah. well. But at times, it's really also where, when we're evaluating the child, we're also evaluating the parent's mental health. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. how are they able to deal with the daily challenges sometimes that the child presents to them. Mm-hmm. It is hard. I mean, we put ourselves, you try to put yourself into the parent's shoe, and it is it is tough at times. Yeah. So even if the child is the identified patient, we really look at the entire system. Yeah, I think it's so helpful, and not to make parents afraid, but like, what a wonderful holistic approach of looking at the system and seeing where we can um, aid, resource, support, help. Um, like you said, if there's holes, you know, like there's the sense of um, not just here's a Band-Aid or here's something, you know, after seeing a child for 15 minutes. So my goal is that these parents that are listening to this podcast can be assured that a good child psychiatrist <laughs> is going to mm-hmm. take that time, is going to look um, at what's underlying is going to uncover stones, is going to look at the developmental processes and where things may have um, had ch- been challenging and how we can move forward. Yeah, I think it's, I, I've always believed that it is important to take into consideration the dynamics in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really find it hard to treat a child or an adolescent without having to connect with a parent. Mm. I do respect confidentiality, you mm-hmm. know, as much as, you know, um, we have to make the child comfortable when we see them. But it is 
also important to have knowledge of what else is going on that the child may not be picking up or the child may choose not to discuss with you. Sure, yeah. So um, I, I find it uh, sometimes amazing that um, that some of our colleagues would only see the child and not want to talk to the parent. I, I really don't know how you can accomplish your goal of stabilizing what's going on with the child and the home without getting that extra information that only a parent would be able to provide you or not mm-hmm. having to dialogue with, uh, with the school. Mm-hmm. So, so as you see, Susan, I, I really believe in the systems yeah. approach yeah. of the child and adolescent psychiatrist that I could not really work in a vacuum, just seeing the right, child. Right. It, to me, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And in that, I, I really appreciate that perspective and that approach. And that's the way that, you know, we at Kid Matters, myself and my team work with counseling as well. It's we're, we're working with the system. We always are coming alongside, mm-hmm. journeying with the parent as well, because they have to have things that they too can utilize and support the child as we're working with them. Um, so that the f- so that there can be changes because the parents there the parents the right. one that's interfacing most of the time with the child <laughs> and sometimes the parents can use the support the mm-hmm. education yeah. the contact as much as the child mm, and true. so recognizing that is so important uh, from day one I mean we I, we emphasize the initial evaluation but I also believe that. Our knowledge um, expands as we know the child, you know, follow-up is very important. Compliance in terms of um, the recommendations, mm-hmm. but mm, you, you probably won't, um, I always say, changes will not occur overnight. Mm-hmm. And uh, the more knowledge that you have about the child, the family, the entire systems around the child, the better that you, the better you are as a therapist, mm-hmm. as a healer, as a physician, as mm-hmm. a team member mm-hmm. in this child's development yes. and success. Oh, I think that's great. Okay, I have a few more questions. This yeah. is this is really great. Um, I just want to remind our listeners, though, that the topics discussed on this podcast and the resources shared should always be considered a matter of personal opinion. They do not reflect professional advice. If you or your child is in need of mental health counseling support or psychiatric support, please search out a licensed professional in your area. So... Dr. Bernardino, tell me, tell our listeners, what are some of the top signs that a parent or a guardian um, should be keeping an eye out for while they're with their child, while they're interacting with their child, um, that might um, be um, a way for them to see or a, a, an opportunity to kind of like just begin to question or seek psychiatric care the key word would be change not knowing the baseline of the child and if the child presents with changes in mood uh, behavior engagement specifically a child who uh, or adolescent who from out of the blue would uh, present as Angry. So you're irritable. not talking about you're not talking about change like 
right, we just have gone through two years of a pandemic and there's a change, right, that kids aren't seeing their friends, that they're, that they might be sad about that. You're talking about it's, out of the blue. Um, whether situational, environmental, or random, um, specific changes that are just out of character for the child and persistent. Okay. Persistence, severity, duration. You know, Persistence, severity, so, and duration. duration. So uh, the persistence of irritability, anger, moodiness, aggressive behavior, um, a, or the opposite, um, being quieter than usual, hmm. wanting to isolate himself mm -hmm. or herself, um, someone who um, used to be outgoing and then all of a sudden would not want. So, so these are the changes mm -hmm. that I'm talking about. Um, Children and adolescents don't tell you I am depressed. They mm. don't tell you I'm anxious. Most of the time they don't. But um, somebody, a child who, for example, starts not wanting to go to school mm. and complains of I have a stomach ache, mm. I have a headache, I, have, I don't feel right. Um, because those could be medical issues it's true that mm -hmm. you have to factor in having to see a pediatrician but they also common sign of depression or and or anxiety in mm -hmm. a child or someone who used to be a good student and then um you notice um indifference to doing homework or mm -hmm. the grades you can see the grades mm -hmm. that are different or Changes in the way they um, wear their clothes. Mm. Not so, so all of these mm -hmm. uh, taken together and um, the change, the key that I talked to you about. And, of course, you're not going to react with uh, someone who just present like this one day, two days. You're talking about several days and weeks of a mom, you know, scratching his head, her head and saying, you know, what is going on here? I mm -hmm. notice some of these changes. So the change would be very important. Um, so in, persistence, yeah. sever severity, duration. duration. So, yeah. so let's just, just as a uh, real life example, a five-year-old, they're typically um, really happy. All of a sudden, they don't want to play with their friends anymore. They're hitting things. They're banging their head against the wall. It, mom notices it. She's like trying to figure it out. She goes to the her pediatrician. Is like is something going on. What's the what? What would you say is happening? I know. Again, I know you don't know this. The system, the case, but like, what would you say is happening if it if it continues over? Would you? say look at it for three weeks of what's a what's a persistent behavior in a five-year-old well you 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 try to monitor that and give time but if there are some concerning behaviors in addition to what you mentioned especially um well a five-year-old it it depends on the language sophistication of the child. Mm. Um, some of five years old, some five year old would be able to tell you maybe um, 
you know, what's going on, if it is situational or if there are some issues with their peers. But if they themselves don't, you know, if they, if they don't say anything, um, it's not because they don't want to, but they probably don't have the language to, to describe what's going on. Mm-hmm. So you go over the history. Is there any family history of anxiety um, among parents, uh, siblings? Um, so is this behavior out of character for the house, you know, f- for, for the, the family? Household. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, and um, what other changes... Um, are noticed? Are, are, are there some issues with sleep? So I'm talking about the, eva- that, the evaluation that yeah. we go through. Mm-hmm. Are there some changes in the child's eating pattern, um, engagement with other, you know, with other other uh, children and and adults? Uh, we choose to for someone very young like that. Mm-hmm. You wanted to gather more information, and that would be an example of what I would say, forget about medication. This medication is not the primary intervention here. You wanted to know what's going on, and um, most likely that child, I, I would say, would require a referral for individual and family therapy, whether mm-hmm. play therapy or a combination of mm-hmm. uh, talking therapy, uh, play therapy, parent coaching, that probably would be what I would emphasize and what I would suggest right off the bat. That's helpful. That's really helpful to know because I think that when we're, um, when, when I uh, provide coaching to parents um, in treatment with every child, I think the biggest thing for me is to help parents to notice um, what is going on. Um, and to not um, to not just think any behavior or presentation is showing up in a vacuum. So I appreciate what you said is that like yes, you're looking for these specific persistent um, out of the blue changes, but you're also then looking hey and and I and I feel like we're very aligned in this is that um, if a parent can think about is this have you have has there been have there been any big changes in the house have there you know did they you know did all of a sudden um a sibling you know get a new bedroom or uh or like Mm -hmm. um go to school and the this child is you know now in a different classroom or is have there been any big major changes or um or are these specific patterns that have happened um in your home or are not I wouldn't I don't want to use the word normal but there's something that a child has been exposed to like anxiety or a behavior like they're presenting with it's helpful to look at all of that as well as what's developmentally normal or on par with growth exactly and and thank you you know what while you were talking about about what's going on at home it's really I'm reminded of the importance of reminding Myself, us, um, your um, parents who will be um, listening to this podcast, that children and adolescents are very sensitive to how their parents feel. 
They mirror as much as parents mirror how their children are feeling. Mm-hmm. Children mirror how the parents are feeling. Yeah. So if there is high anxiety in the household as a result of fa- any factor, medical illnesses, um, financial stressors, um, relationship issues with parents, kids, believe it or not, pick up on that. Yeah. They know if they know that you're not well, they may not understand what's going on, but these kids are very sensitive mm-hmm. and they know. It's like I, I like to describe it as like, you know, the soil of what in which something grows um, is really important. So I like to garden because it's a fun way for me to release <laughs> stress. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's important uh, to know the soil type and the zone before you plant something um, in the ground, because otherwise it is, it can be, it might not grow like you anticipated. And so if we're thinking about, and I know it's not a, you know, a one-to-one analogy, but if we're, if we want to, if I want to grow something, I can, um, that isn't necessarily something that is native, I prep the soil or I prepare or do certain things and I take good care because uh, the soil provides like mirroring, not not one on again, this is not one on one, but the sense mm-hmm. of, um, you know, it's a breeding ground for the development. And it's important to allow um, parents to realize that the breeding ground matters, not just um, the type of plant or that they have, you know, that they, okay, we have a child and we gave them all this opportunity. Well, un- what's underneath also matters. Totally. I agree. Yes, it is very, yeah, it is important to, mm-hmm. I like your analogy. Thank <laughs> you. I have to remember that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> but I, but I think too, like the, the mirroring, what's fascinating to me about uh, neuroscience that has really, I feel like opened up the field of mental health to have wonderful support in many ways, um, in the counseling field um, about like mirror, how we're mirror beings and how our, um, how, what we do in our interactions um, and how we grow and develop is, has a lot to do with what we're sitting in front of or who we're with or our situation and um, has shown a lot. And I, I really appreciate you mentioning that the mirroring and how you're taking such care to look at everything holistically. You're, your patients are very, very blessed to have you. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Susan. So um, before we end, I would like to just ask if you can give our listeners some practical um, things to take away. So maybe one, two, or three um, ways that you might suggest that parents or guardians or whomever is listening um, can come alongside their children at any stage of their development and promote increased mental health? Um, We touched on the first one already. I think it is important that parents take care of themselves. Mm. It is important Mm -hmm. that you are well because of the mirroring that we already discussed. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, children will know that. And so 
whether it's a ten, five or 10 minute break from the day to take care of yourself. I think that's very important for mm -hmm. a parent, uh, a caretaker, to first be able to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and then secondly, I think it's important to provide routine and structure. Mm -hmm. um, it provides security for the child, uh, it, safety and security for the child, mm -hmm. no matter how busy we are, um, to get, you know, to, to uh, try to maintain a routine. It doesn't matter whether... Uh, a child has ADHD, depression, anxiety, or developmental issues. I think it's just important to have uh, to, to uh, start the day with some specific um, programming or some activities. Mm -hmm. um, active listening is important. Ad adolescents always tell me, "Oh, my parents think I know. They know what I'm thinking." Uh, well, I think most of the time, parents really know. But um, it is important for um, the child and adolescent to feel validated, to, uh, to feel that you're listening to them. So um, it, it does not have to be a whole, you know, one hour of uh, sitting down sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, just to, to carve out a few minutes of you really, um, I call it active listening, um, and, and sometimes really not saying anything. It's just mm. being there and the child know, and the child knows that you're there and uh, would be and, and is available to um, to listen to what may be going through mm -hmm. there through uh, uh, go, going on with them that day. Um, so I, I think those are, the main one, you know, routine, structure, active listening, taking care of yourself. Um, uh, we, we get so busy with mm -hmm. our lives mm -hmm. that um, things don't happen um, automatically. Most mm -hmm. of the time we'll have to create a space to do yeah. some things. Mm -hmm. And I know it's easier said than done because we are all very busy in our profession. But I always, again, one of the things I always tell parents, your children, they are your biggest investment. Mm. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it's important to actually mm -hmm. do these things instead of just not think. Again, it's like you can buy the best plant and have the worst soil. <laughs> <laughs> and it won't grow the way you want it, right? No. So it's important to cultivate both to right. get good plants, but also to, uh, again, mm. the, it, the analogy does not go one to one. <laughs> um, but yeah. I no, I think this has been great. It's been so helpful to hear. I think it's also challenged me to think um, even more about um, how to actively listen with my own children like I'm like okay how, what are ways that I can actually um, continue to cultivate that because I like you were saying sometimes think oh yeah I, I do that <laughs> mm -hmm. but do they feel that do they know that I'm there do they are they um, aware that I'm carving out that space and I and and yet it doesn't have to be an hour you know during the day it can be a few moments it can be but it can be creating these intentional practices. And in that, I find, 
um, personally and professionally that the parents then are able to get that baseline. And so then they're able to see or anticipate if their child is moving towards depression or anxiety and and mm-hmm. be able to manage it before it gets out of control. Would you say something similar? Or? Well, I, I you know, I agree. I think it's, um, there's always um, little hints, you know, signs and symptoms there that usually parents are aware or sensitive to them. And mm-hmm. it's, I always say, you know, it's better to nip them in the bud. Um, I think a lot of my suggestions, Susan, I realize they're very basics and most parents already know them, but I think it's nice to be reminded once in a while. Totally. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and I think, important. But I think that basic is important because so often we forget that. We want mm-hmm. the high, the high, you know, um, here's all the, here's a 12 step plan or whatever, but really thinking about what are, intentional small things you can do to affect change over time and really our mental health isn't something that changes overnight it's something that is cultivated and um grown um whether it you know in it, you know and there's all different types of reasons why right but also being present for our children and also taking care of ourselves as an as the adult as the caregiver is super important so that we can be with our child whatever they um, face in the future well thank you for saying that Susan um, I, I really I really enjoy enjoyed being here with you I I've learned a lot from your comments after my comments and uh, <laughs> I really I really you know, I admire you. I well, thank you thank for you. Uh, the opportunity. <laughs> so um, if people are looking for a child, child psychiatrist in the Chicagoland area, are you accepting new patients? How can people get in touch with you? Yes, I am. Um, and I have another colleague who's also a child and adolescent psychiatrist, and we're both uh, board, board certified and have practiced for quite some time. So so they have to uh, uh, call the office. My okay. practice is in Burridge. Okay. It's called Cypress Professional Group. Okay. Uh, and we'll put a link to that um, on our show notes so that people can find that if they're looking for it. And um, and so you say just go on the website and, and that's the best way. It'll give you directions on how to get a hold of you by calling or emailing. Yes, okay. that's the best way. Okay, great. But yeah. thank you. Thank okay, you. well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, and to all of you who are listening, thank you for joining me. If you have a question for us that you would like answered, you're welcome to send it to podcast at kidmatterscounseling.com. And if you found this conversation useful, don't forget to subscribe and please join me again next time for the Parent Matter podcast. Don't parent alone. <laughs>